So we are in uh, that series. Many of you that are familiar and are part of our church, you know that. And uh, as I said, we will be doing this series for this Sunday and next, and then we move into our Advent uh, time of year. And uh, we have been looking at the fact that Joseph's life and the example of Joseph's life, but what we've also been looking at, more importantly, and we've said that the greatest hero of this book, and especially in the, as we're talking about the chapter and the chapters in Genesis, is God is indeed the hero. He is the one that has been faithful and is one that we can look to in times of need and concern. And so today we're looking at the fact that God meant it for good. And the chapters that you've heard, you heard only one chapter, but actually it's chapters 42, 43, and 44. And I had Pastor Mike just read a portion of that because I don't know if you could handle hearing three chapters. And, and so as we look at the life of Joseph, there's an important question I want us to bring to the forefront today. Here's the question. Do people really change? Can people change? Is it possible for people to change? I like this story. A woman testified to the transformation in her life that had resulted through her experience in Christ. She declared... I'm so glad I got religion. I have an uncle I used to hate so much, I vowed that I'd never go to his funeral. But now, why? I'd be happy to do it any time. And so that's the question we're dealing a bit today with. We're talking about grace and mercy, and we're talking about the reality. Can people change? And so this is a time now, as we come into Joseph's story, that is important that they face the past. See, God can do things in your life. There can be things that are going great in your life, but there comes a reckoning, there comes a point when you need to deal with your past. Joseph, with his brothers, he now will see how Joseph chose to interact with them as he has this encounter with them after, it's like 20 years since he's seen them. But we also will witness the transformation in Judah. I love this statement, to be better and not bitter. Hmm, does that one resonate a bit? Say it to somebody. Be better and not bitter. Be better and not bitter. So so we come into the beginning of this. What game is Joseph playing? You know, you read these chapters. We grew up with the story, and we're saying, like, what game is he playing with his brothers? Is it out of resentment? Is it out of revenge? What's going on here as he plays with them? And the truth of it is we know it's not resentment or revenge because twice we're told he goes and weeps when he's around them. What Joseph is doing here is he's testing them. He's searching to see, have they truly changed, these brothers of mine? And so he puts them through these tests to discern their character. And so he shows them mercy and forgiveness. Have my brothers changed? Do people truly change? Or are they still the self-seeking, envious, greedy brothers that put me in such peril all those years ago? Are they still out looking for number one? 
And so as we look at this passage today, we back up and we kind of see the background in these early chapters here about these visits to Egypt. Now remember, we talked about the fact that there was a terrible famine coming, and now the famine is here, visit number one. So now the famine has hit even Canaan, not just Egypt. And Jacob tells his sons to go to Egypt to buy grain. I looked it up. It was actually 623 kilometers that they had to go. This is not just a trip around the corner to Foodland. This is 623 kilometers they would have to go to be able to buy grain. The famine now we know is so great. So 10 brothers go, but not Benjamin. The ten brothers come and they bow down before Joseph and he treats them terribly and he spoke harshly to them, the scripture says. They're respectful of him, but they don't recognize him. Joseph knew who they were right away. And Joseph goes around accusing them of spies. What are you doing here? You must be some spies. And they said, oh, no, 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 sir. We're not spies. We're 12 sons of one man. And the youngest is with the father. And the other is no more. So ultimately, they're telling Joseph that they feel that he is dead, that he has died. Joseph puts them in prison for three days. Joseph releases them, but his one brother, Simeon, has to stay in jail. They could go back to the father, but the youngest would be the proof. They were to bring back the youngest, Benjamin, and he would be the proof that they weren't spies, while Simeon remains in prison. And so notice the grace here, because Joseph now sends them back to their families and to their father with big sacks of grain filled. And all of the money that they paid for this grain is now returned to them and put in the top of their bags. And they're even given provisions for their journey. And so as they return and report it to Jacob what had happened, Simeon is in prison. And Jacob says, nope. Benjamin's not going back. And so you look at this father, you look at this dysfunctionality in this family, you look at the problems that poor Joseph experienced the problems, yes, because he was young and because he was arrogant, but because the father himself did things that put the children at odds with each other. We can't even comprehend that, that he decided it would be better to keep his blessed Benjamin home and let Simeon rot in prison. And so he refuses. Benjamin is not going back. No way. Well, now we see visit two because they've eaten up all their grain and now they're hungry. And we're talking now a whole clan of people. All of these sons have uh, wives and children and now it's a huge community that we're talking about. And so it becomes so severe, they begin to realize they have to go back to Egypt to buy more grain. But Judah, it's interesting here because now all of a sudden Judah's not been a leader up to this point, but Judah now stands forth as a leader and he begins to come and he says to the father, but God, I mean, but dad, we cannot go back. We told you that we cannot go back. We were told not to return unless we return with the youngest, with Benjamin. And so... Jacob agrees that Benjamin can go with them. Judah takes personally the responsibility. You heard him tell uh, the story in the scripture that Pastor Mike read. 
Now, Jacob decides at that point, send back, and they decide too, all the original money. They didn't spend it. They kept it because they knew it had to go back to Joseph. And so they kept that money, and they're going to return that money for the first visit, and now they're coming with more money for the second visit. But the one thing that Jacob thinks that might help a little bit and sweeten the deal, he tells them to go get some gifts for this man, get him some balm and honey and gum and resin and pistachio nuts, sat and had a feed of them last night, yum, and almonds. And he says, go send some gifts to them. And so with these gifts and the original money and the new money, they now, and Benjamin, the second time they come and they stand before Joseph. But something strange happened. They were received graciously. That doesn't make sense. They were invited into Joseph's home. A meal is prepared for them. And now they're like, oh, we're surely doomed. He's getting us into his house. So now not just Simeon will be in prison, but we're all going to become his slaves. That must be what's going on here. And so they return the money to the steward of the house and they say, some mistake must have been made. Here is the original money that was in our sack and here's the new money to buy grain. And see, in that moment, they passed the test, one of them, because they were willing to sell their brother for 20 pieces of silver. But now in this moment, they're honest men when it comes to finances. Hello? They made sure that they returned that money that was found in their sack, and they come with money again. And so we can see in that moment that they're not the greedy young men they were. They're changed. They're honest men now. Simeon is now brought out of prison, and they brought their presence before Joseph in his house, and they bow down before him. And we're told that seeing Benjamin, his real brother, the others are half-brothers, this is his real brother, his baby brother, that he's not seen for decades. And when he sees his baby brother, he has to excuse himself to weep. And as he pulls himself back together, he comes down and he sits at his table. And by the way, Egyptians could not sit with non-Egyptians. So he would be sitting at his table. They would be seated at another table. And then we're told that he sends portions from his table, the best of the best, down to their table. Here's the second test. As he sends the food down, he makes sure that Benjamin gets five times as much. Let's stir the pot a bit. Let's see how they respond to favoritism. Let's see if they get angry. Let's see, because remember now, these brothers were the ones who were upset because he was dad's favorite. They were upset because the father had given him what? The coat of many colors. Remember, weeks ago, we talked about that coat was a coat that would be worn by the person who would take that position when the father died. That's why they were angry. It wasn't the fact that it was a nice gift. It was the fact that it was a position of leadership as he went around wearing this coat. And so they're upset. They're angry. They're jealous. They're doing all of that. But somehow, at this table, their younger baby brother gets five times as much. And it doesn't seem like it even bothers them. Nothing is done. And so we see, once again, they passed another test. They're different. 
And then we're told that Joseph filled their sacks once again with provisions. And now double the money is put in the top of the sacks as they return home. But then there's the third test, the test of the silver cup. Let's see how they're going to react now. And so he tells his men and the steward of his house to make sure that they put all the money back on the sacks, but on that youngest one, make sure you put my silver cup in on top of it. And so they left. They're on their way back home to do the 623 kilometers home with the grain. That's why they needed provisions. And there they were going not just a short distance away, when Joseph says to his steward and the men, go after them and catch them because they have stolen my silver cup. And so they come and they stop these men. They're not far from Egypt when they stop them all and they say, you have stolen. Why did you do this terrible thing? You have stolen the silver cup of our master. Of course, they say, never would we do that. We're not thieves. We gave you the money for everything. We wouldn't steal anything from you. And then as they open up the bags, they find out it is Benjamin's sack that has the silver cup. What did they do? The word says they tore their clothes. What was that a sign of? You'll see that all throughout Scripture. They tore their clothes. Many times tore clothes and put dirt on their heads, ashes on their heads. It was a sign of mourning. It was a sign of grief. And so as they find out that their baby brother is found to have the silver cup, they now all mourn and grieve. And they go before Pharaoh. They decide that they're going to go with him back to Pharaoh's court. And whatever the consequences, they're going to go there with him in this situation. Joseph told them that he concluded that wherever the cup was found in that sack, that person would become his slave, and the rest of them were free to go home. But they wouldn't go home. They wouldn't leave this other son of Rachel. They decided to stay. And then we see that they fell before Joseph looking for mercy and grace, but Joseph can see that they're changed men. Then Judah approached Joseph. Now, I just thought that that was very nervy to think that he could even come and have conversation with this man. And so he said, if we return without the boy, our father will surely die. And so all of a sudden, before, they didn't care about the father. They didn't care they were bringing home the coat with a lie, covered in blood, letting their father believe that their, his favorite son was dead. They didn't care about the father. In this moment, they're concerned for their father. And Judas especially steps forward, and he says, this will kill him for sure. And I gave my word that I would care for the boy. I'll see that he gets home to the father. So I'm asking you for mercy and grace. Let me take his place. Let me step in and take his place. Let him go back to my aging father, and I will become your slave. I will become your slave. In that moment, it's at that moment, we'll get into it next week, that Joseph now reveals who he is because he has seen that his brothers have indeed changed. They are changed men. They are not the same men that put him in the pit all those years ago who sold him into slavery. 
They were remorseful for what they had done. We know that after their three days in prison, they're having a conversation amongst themselves, not realizing that Joseph could understand them. And they're talking about the fact, as Semites, they were talking about the fact that they were getting what they deserved. God was revengeful. God was giving them payback because of the terrible thing they had done to the brother who is no more all those years ago. When they find the money in their grain sacks, they're afraid that they'll be accused of stealing and they make sure that money is returned. They're grieved over Benjamin. And we see that Judah approaches Joseph and is willing to sacrifice himself on behalf of his younger brother. Now, in all of that story today, Joseph had a choice. Joseph had a choice. Joseph had a choice to be gracious and merciful to his brothers. He sent home grain and provisions for them, for their journey. He was concerned about them. He put the money back in the top of their bags as they returned after that first visit. This is not how you usually treat spies. (laughs) This is not how you usually treat prisoners. Here's the key. Before he even put the tests before them, he was gracious and merciful to them. It wasn't dependent upon how they were going to respond. He wanted to see, are my brothers truly changed? In order for him to grow in relationship with them and to do all the things that God wanted him to do. But he was gracious and merciful to these men who had treated him so poorly. It's a choice. Do you see that? It's a choice. And so God wants us, my friends, also to make that choice. He extended his love and care and compassion towards them when they didn't even deserve it. Sound familiar? They hadn't even asked yet for forgiveness. And so Joseph chose to be better, not bitter. And my friends, I want to tell you today, in this world, we have that same choice. I'll tell you too that a root of bitterness will destroy us. Bitterness will turn into anger. Anger will turn into hatred. Hatred turns into evil. And so we have a choice, just like Joseph had a choice, that he chose to be better and not bitter. We also have a choice to also be people who will be better than this, who will not stoop to that where other people have stooped to, because we know who we serve. Now, we need to maybe, we sing about God's mercy. We sang this morning about God's grace. Sometimes we need to revisit For us to truly understand what is mercy and grace, we need to just quickly have that explanation. Now, mercy, mercy is compassion or forbearance. I was praying this morning for long-suffering shown to lawbreakers or offenders. That's mercy. So here we are. We're coming into the court. Our rap sheet is long. We're doomed. We should be put away for life. But the judge has mercy on us and we don't get what we deserve. That's mercy. Grace, grace on the other hand, is the unmerited favor 
of God. Like any good father wants to give gifts to his children, God is gracious towards us. I like what Max Lucado said in this quote, the difference between mercy and grace, mercy gave the prodigal son a second chance. Grace gave him a feast. And so our God is merciful and gracious towards us. And here in this moment, we see that Joseph is also very gracious and merciful to his brothers, though they do not deserve it. Now here's the key. I found this was a key. Joseph wanted to make sure not to make it too easy for his brothers. What does that mean? See, when we see this, we think it's done in anger. We think it's done in hatred and revenge and payback. But there's something here where Joseph realizes that even in that conversation they have after they get out of prison, that they are still living under the failure of what they did to their baby brother. They still have not gotten over it. They're still struggling with the fact they actually believe that God is revengeful and the things that they're going through is because of what they did in the past. And so they're still living under it. And so the point is here that Joseph is now an instrument of God bringing them through this place of transformation because you can only be transformed when you look at your past and you deal with it. You might be doing great right now. You might say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Everything is good in my life. But some of us, if we haven't dealt with it, the past is still there. Looming over us. Stealing our joy. Trying to keep us down and out. And the lies of the enemy begin, what kind of Christian are you? Do you remember what you did? And so Joseph has forgiven them. Clearly he has because he's merciful and gracious towards them. But the key is have they forgiven themselves? And so there needs to be a place of remorse. There needs to be a place of confession. There needs to be a place of repenting of our past, of those things. And you know, sometimes we can make it too easy for people to come into faith. Say the little magical prayer and you're on your way to heaven, hallelujah. And they've not come through the vehicle of confession. They have not come through the vehicle of true repentance for what they've done, the sins that they have caused. And therefore, they are never changed and transformed. They are never set free from those things. God is wanting us today to understand the power of confession, to understand the power of repentance, to understand to be remorseful for our past, but then, hallelujah, to be set free from it once and for all. And when Satan tries to bring it up, I say, it's under the blood, hallelujah. Get away from me. Get behind me, Satan. And so we see that he realizes that they need to come to a place and they recognize they're long overdue for punishment. They, as he comes, they come three times before Joseph. And then they realize they have to confess their hard-heartedness and then they need to confess that they shed blood. And Joseph chose to forgive. It was a choice. We too must bring a full admission of our guilt to God of our sin, 
Now, some people won't even use that term sin, but I want to say to you today, I've talked to a lot of people that are unchurched people, and I'll say, do you have any regrets? Lots. Whatever term you want to use, (laughs) when we look back, and I look at my life, and I think, I wish I didn't, I couldn't, you know. There's those things that we need to just come before Christ and, and just plead the blood of Christ over. I love what 1 John 1.9 tells us. It is not the norm for us now as believers, but he does say something very powerful. Listen to this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us all from all unrighteousness. Notice the key at the beginning of that verse. If we confess. That's where it starts. And I praise God today for his grace and his mercy. But just as confession is necessary to restore us to a right relationship with God, we too must practice forgiveness, mercy, and grace towards others who have caused us terrible harm. See, some of us have no problem believing and receiving God's grace and mercy, but you want me to do what, Pastor? Do you know what they did? Let me tell you what they did. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You're supposed to choose to be merciful and gracious to them because you haven't been recipient of God's grace. Now you are called to be gracious to everyone you meet. Jesus would say it even further. Jesus would say even love your enemies. Don't see too many people say amen to that one usually. We see here today, once again in this story, prolifically it's pointing forward to the day when Jesus would come and fulfill this so much more than Joseph and Judah. But when Joseph demanded that the brothers return home to Jacob without Benjamin, Judah emerges as now the leader, the new spokesperson for the family. What gave Judah the right? Remember now, he is the person who broke the faith with the family by marrying a Canaanite. Here's his past. He raised such wicked sons that the Lord put two of them to death. He treated his daughter-in-law as a prostitute. And he had hatched, he was the planner that made the plan to sell his own brother a slave. Do you realize that? This is that uh, thing happening here now between Judah and Joseph. It was Judah's idea, by the way. Has he changed? But praise God for God's transformation in any man or woman Because Judah showed Joseph he was a changed man. He exhibited unexpected compassion in telling about the family's heart-wrenching experience of starvation, of his father's undying love for Benjamin, that Judah's own promise to his father that he had to bring Benjamin back home, lest Jacob literally die from grief. And then in an ultimate expression of compassion, Judah offers himself as a substitute for Benjamin. We see the ultimate sacrifice. Judah is now a changed man. My friends, God is in the business of changing and transforming people. I pray you know this transformation. Now, 
haven't arrived yet, then probably you haven't either. <laughs> but praise God, he is transforming me. And so Judah ultimately points to Jesus' sacrifice, doesn't he? He was willing to give up his life for his baby brother. Only the irresistible work of the Holy Spirit can explain such a transformation in such a man's life. It took him years to get there. It doesn't happen overnight. But the Spirit's sanctifying work is changing and transforming us, and it brings profound results that our family can't even recognize us anymore. I pray that's the truth. And there's one greater than Judah. Jesus Christ gave up his life for our sake. He sacrificed himself for all of humanity once and for all to give us a new life, to give us glory, to change and transform us. And he said in Matthew's gospel, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And we see that not just Judah points to Jesus in these chapters, but Joseph points to Jesus. We see Judah points to sacrifice. Well, now Joseph uh, points to God's provision. Joseph had the opportunity for payback. He had the opportunity to make them pay for what they did to him. Instead, he chose to provide for them, to forgive them, to be gracious and merciful. He says to them, God sent me ahead of you. And as we've been doing in our series, you might have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You can only say that if you have forgiven. Do you realize that? You could only come to that conclusion if you have forgiven. Jesus could have made us all pay, my friends. He could have called 10,000 angels and left that cross and say, it's not worth it. Let them die in their sins. But instead, he chose to forgive us. He chose, made that choice to be merciful and gracious to sinners like us. And so we have been recipients of his grace and mercy. I want to challenge you today as we bring this to a close. You are called to sacrificial living. If you are in Christ... You are called to sacrificial living. You are called to be a substitute for others. You are called to stand in the gap when others can't. You are called to be that example of Christ when no one else will at school or at the workplace. You are called, just like Judah was willing to be that ultimate a sacrifice for his baby brother. We too need to be that kind of person. And we need, if we're not there, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to do his changing and transforming work in us. We also have a choice today to choose to forgive. And my suspicion is if you've been through anything like I've been through, this life will throw things at us. It'll be so easy for them to stick. Oh, in one side of our mouth, we're praising the Lord and we love the Lord. But there's a divided heart because something is stuck and something we've not been able to let go and something is still holding on to us. And my friends, it's going to hold you down and hold you out. And if you're not careful, you will one day wake up far from God. 
And I've seen so many in, in pastoring a church over the years, the enemy has got a hold of them because they will not forgive. It's a choice. Now, am I saying your feelings are going to be there? No. <laughs> I'm saying we're not going by feelings. We walk by faith, not by sight. It means that I come to a place that I know that I know that I know with God's help, I need to forgive that person, and I'm making that choice today, and God is going to help me to do it. That's what we're asked to do, to be gracious to people who don't deserve it, to be merciful to people who don't deserve it. How many times can I forgive my brother? (laughs) Should I forgive my brother? See, Peter was wanting to come and make a list and saying, okay, I've done enough. He wanted Jesus to say, oh, you've, been, you've done enough, Peter. <laughs> see, see, we want to feel that somehow we're right. Everyone else is wrong, and we've done enough, and yet we have to look in the eyes of our Savior nailed to that tree when he looked out across the crowd and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And I believe, my friends, with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it's possible. Someone said that unforgiveness is the poison meant for the other that you drink yourself. And ultimately, it will destroy you. And through all of this, there is one constant. God is faithful. God remains the same. God's promises are true. God is gracious and merciful towards us. Can people change? Yes. Did you hear that? Can people change? Yes. Can people change? Yes. Can those those addicted today be set free from addictions? Yes. Can the person who's bitter and angry and unforgiving be a person that's loving, kind, compassionate? Yes. That's what this place is about. It's about change and transformation. It is a place of hope. It's a place where we get on our knees and we pray for our family members and our colleagues and our neighbors because we believe in the power of God's grace to change and transform people. Do we believe that, church? I hope we do. I hope we pray that way. I hope we talk that way. And how do we know it? Just look at our lives. Just look at us. We're the examples of it. We're the examples that know that we have and it is possible to change, that God is in the business of transforming. And I want you to look to somebody and say, God isn't finished with me yet. He's not finished with us yet. We haven't arrived. None of us arrive. He's still working on me. He's still working on you. And we're going to be gracious towards each other because he is working on us. This should be a house of grace, a house of mercy, a house of the second chance, third chance, fifth chance, a hundred chances. Because this is his house, not mine. It's a house of grace and mercy. I choose to forgive you. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, of course it's disappointing. But I choose to forgive. Because my eternal destiny is not worth the energy it's going to take to be angry and bitter all my life against someone who hurt me. Right? As the worship band comes, I have a story to end with. I think we said enough. (laughs) 
I didn't know this gentleman, but I, I read and I heard this story, and I looked it up, and I found it quite in, interesting. Now, some of you would have to be older, quite older, to know who this was, but it's a great story. There was a well-known radio host, comedian, songwriter in Hollywood. This was back in the 1950s, and his name was Stuart Hamblin, and he was noted for his drinking, womanizing, and partying. Can you imagine? And one day along came a young preacher holding a tent revival, and Hamblin had him on his radio show, presumably to poke fun at him. And in order to gather more material for his show, Hamblin showed up at one of the revival meetings. Early in the service, the preacher got up and he said, there is one man in this audience who is a big fake. Now, there were quite a few in the audience that felt it was them, but Hamblin was convinced that the preacher, you ever notice how that happens? Hamblin was convinced that the preacher was preaching about him. And some would call it conviction, but he would have nothing to do with it. Still, the words continued to haunt him for the next couple of nights. Later, he showed up drunk at the preacher's hotel room at 2 a.m. in the morning demanding that the preacher pray for him. And the preacher wisely refused, saying, this is between you and God, and I'm not going to get in the middle of it. However, he invited Stuart in, and they talked till 5 a.m. in the morning. I would think that by that time he began to sober up. At which point, Stuart dropped to his knees and with tears cried out to God, that is not the end of the story, praise God. Stuart quit drinking. He quit chasing women. Hallelujah. And he quit everything, it seemed. Soon be, he began to lose favor with Hollywood. He ultimately was fired by the radio station when he refused to accept a beer company as a sponsor. Hard times were upon him. He tried writing a couple Christian songs, but the only one that had much success was This Old House, written for his friend Rosemary Clooney. As he continued to struggle... A longtime friend came, John, took him aside and told him, all your troubles started when you got religion. Was it worth it? Stuart answered simply, yes. Then his friend asked, you like your booze so much, don't you ever miss it? His answer was, no. John then said, I don't understand how you could give it up so easily. Stewart's response was, it's no big secret. All things are possible to God. To this, John said, that's a catchy phrase. You should write a song about it. And as they say, the rest is history. The song that Stewart wrote was, it is no secret. It is no secret what God can do, what he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll welcome you. It is no secret what God can do. A changed life. By the way, his friend was John Wayne that was asking those questions. And the young preacher who refused to pray for him was the late Billy Graham. My friends, today we believe that anyone can change with God's transforming grace. God's transforming power. I pray today that you've done the hard work where you've actually looked at your life and looked at your sin and realized the pain that it's cost others and the pain that it's cost God. And you've been remorseful and you have confessed it and you have repented of it and you have been set free of it. That is what the gospel is about. 
Praise God, I've got a ticket to heaven, hallelujah. But I can be changed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to challenge you, church, today. You have a choice. You can be better or you can be bitter. Let's sing this song in closing. And if you need to do business with God, if you need to come to a place of confession and repentance, you need to nail it down. You need to nail it to the cross and say, I know that I know that I know my past is paid for. Hallelujah. See, he already forgave you. When Christ died on the cross, he forgave everyone once and for all. His price, the price has been paid. We don't go back. Christ doesn't get crucified over and over and over again. He paid the price. When he was on that cross, he didn't just say, Father, forgive them. He also said that victory cry, it is finished. The price has been paid for all sins once and for all. But we have to come and confess. We need to come in conviction and remorse for our sins. We need to repent of our past. And we need to receive that forgiveness as a precious, wonderful gift, what Christ has done for us. And my friends, it's like you crucify him all over again if you don't live in the power of his mercy and grace and exercise mercy and grace towards others. We're going to sing this song, and if you need to do business with God today... I encourage you to come, and we would love to pray with you. If you don't want to walk up the middle, you can walk up the sides. But I believe we're in God's house today to do business today. And there are those that need to be set free from a root of bitterness and unforgiveness. There are those that need to know that it's been nailed to the tree once and for all, and I am free, hallelujah, of my past. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. We now surrender this moment. This call that is coming forward is coming from you, Holy Spirit. You have been speaking. You have been calling. You were already in the middle of this service before we even got to the preaching of your word. And people have a choice today. They can choose to go home and say, wasn't that nice? And there are some that need to choose today. You know what? I'm not going home till I do business with God today. And I need his transforming work in my life. I need to know that my past has once and for all been nailed and forgiven and done with. And some of us have picked up this root of bitterness that we now need to make the choice with the power of the Holy Spirit to say, I am not carrying this anymore. I am choosing to forgive. Now, God, help me to walk in that. And so, Lord, we pray now in this moment that you would help us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.